Welcome back to the Life School Masterclass Show, a place where visionary leaders build a life and business legacy on purpose through mindset, branding, marketing, sales, systems, and team so they can make an amazing impact and income and positively affect their communities worldwide. Ensure that you are sharing the show, you're subscribing, and you also are leaving us a review so we can create more amazing content around those areas to help you level up to the next level and also bring amazing guest experts that can share their knowledge and expertise with you so that you can create amazing legacy. All right, Legacy Builders, welcome back to another show. I'm so excited to be back with you with another amazing guest and conversation. And today we're going to talk about investing. Investing is definitely a topic near and dear to our heart. As I know, a lot of you seasoned uh, purposeful entrepreneurs and CEOs are always looking for ways to leverage your time and resources, but also put your money to good use so that it really does more good in the world. And I have my guest expert today, Ira Work, that's going to share with us a lot of the uh, wisdom and expertise that he shares with his everyday clients. I'm so grateful to have you on our show today, Ira. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here to share this time with you. It is an immense pleasure. And again, thank you so much for taking time and sharing your knowledge with us as well. And um, Ira, let's start with an introduction. Can you share a few of the most meaningful moments that led you to the work that you're doing today with investing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I started in the business in March of 1984 as a stockbroker. And it was very frustrating not to be able to consistently and predictably pick stocks that would go up and provide positive returns for my clients. So I then switched to selling mutual funds. And the way that the industry taught me to sell funds was to look at track record, look at three years, five years, and 10 years of performance. So that's what I started recommending. Did that not only for my clients, but I also invested that way for myself. Well, I soon found out that the funds did not repeat that performance long-term. And as a result, clients were getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated. And the clients were not getting the returns, nor was I, of those past performing funds. And then in 2000, I was really very frustrated with the industry because nobody could explain to me or maybe a better way of putting it is nobody would explain to me why the managers were not able to repeat their past performance. And I went into a conference almost ready to leave the industry completely. And I met a gentleman who I hired as a coach to help me transform my business using the science of investing. Nobel Prize winning academic philosophies and theories that were actually working for investors, for pension plans, for university endowments. And when I learned about this, I was shocked that the industry having this information some of it dating back to 1952, did not share it. And I concluded that the reason they didn't share it was because there wasn't enough money being made by the companies themselves for, with investors sharing this way, investing this way. So I began to pursue 
to learn as much as I can about the science of investing and what I would call the myths of investing so that I could then take this to my clients and show them how could they can be more confident about their financial future and be able to set realistic expectations and goals, uh, have a handle on returns based upon how much risk they were willing to take. And that's what I have been doing um, for the last 23 years. Wow. Well, uh, what a journey. What a journey, especially you kind of being to a point of very high frustration with uh, what you were seeing and kind of figuring out a new solution and you not quitting uh, so that you can do now. You can, you know, educate and inspire so many other people for sure. So I love that you said myths and the science behind investing. So let's start with some of those myths that you have seen that you would like to share with us. All right. So the first myth is the myth about stock picking and the myth is that people can believe that there are people that can actually identify in advance which stocks will go up and which stocks will go down and the proof that it doesn't work is based on the fact that the first mutual fund in america started in 1923 and there have been over 35,000 funds opened up that have closed down. There have been over 60,000 funds that have opened up and more funds have closed than, have, than, than remain opened. So the question is, if these managers are actually able to pick stocks, why would any of them go out of business? Which brings to another point about stock picking and mutual funds. If a manager really knew what stocks to buy, how many mutual funds would a company like Fidelity or Vanguard or Tiro Price, how many funds would they really have to have? Well, they'd only actually have to have one because they know what stocks to buy and when to get in, when to get out. And then if you take that even just a little bit further, if they really knew which stocks were gonna go up, they would really only have to have one stock in a fund at a time. So the fact that they have, in many cases, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of stocks shows that they themselves do really know that it can't be done, but it's fun to make a lot of money with other people's money as you gamble and speculate with somebody else's money because the fund manager is getting paid regardless of whether the funds go up, whether the funds go down, whether the um, investors are making money or not. The fund managers are making money every day. So stock picking doesn't work. The second myth that we talk about is the myth of track record. You know, the definition of track record investing is buying funds that did well in the past and that it's a reliable method of identifying them. Well, as I had said in our introduction of what I do, you know, these funds that I was buying in my own personal portfolio that had great five and 10 year track records were not living up to those expectations. So it's very easy for an advisor. It's very easy for a fund company to talk about the funds that have recently gone up because what do investors want? They want the highest possible return they can get. 
So that's when a fund company, like again, Fidelity or T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, that's when they'll march out those fund managers and say, hey, look at what we've done. As opposed to saying, hey, look at what these other funds have done. They're terrible. They haven't performed. And then oftentimes, those funds that haven't performed actually become the funds that perform when they're touting those funds that have just had a great run. Now, I like to compare it to Tiger Woods. You know, Tiger Woods was probably one of the greatest golfers of all time. But if you started betting on him after he won the majority of his tournaments, you were losing money. So track record investing does not work. Uh, another myth, and it's you hear it on TV, radio, on financial services all the time, is, is market timing. Market timing is trying to get in or out of the market when you think it's going up or you think it's going down. The problem with that is you have to be right twice. You have to be right that you're getting out at the top, and then you have to be right that you're getting back in at the bottom. And there was a study that was done, and the results of the study were published in the Wall Street Journal in an article that said for a market timer to be a buy and hold strategy, the market timer had to be right better than 80% of the time. And that is just impossible. Because especially for the average investor, because the average investor doesn't have all the knowledge, they don't have access to all the charts. They're typically just following based upon what we call hints and tips. And they're trying to weave and dart in and out of the market. And there are studies, one company that does it is a company called Dalbar Research, uh, and what they study is investor behavior. And they update this 30-year study every single year. And the stock market itself, the study shows us that the stock market outperforms the average investor by between 3 and 4% every single year. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a 30-year history, you know, and you think about it, you start investing at the age of 30. And you're doing this for 30 years. Now you're 60 years old and you're not getting that extra three or 4%. That could be the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're losing as an individual investor, trying to pick stocks, trying to chase past performance, trying to time the market of when to get in and when to get out. So many myths to bust. Yeah, I love that. I I absolutely think that there is not enough education, especially in this area, for a lot of people in general, uh, and specifically, of course, also for entrepreneurs. So I appreciate you sharing those uh, most common myths that uh, you have seen from your experience as well. So let's get to the science, Ira. So um, what is it that we need to know, or I guess the few the, the few of the most important fundamentals, I should say, that we have time to share here that you really feel people need to know around the science of investing? Because I love that you called it that. I agree that it's absolutely a science. Okay. Well, it is a science because most of the work that we use in our practice comes out of the University of Chicago 
um, which has earned more Nobel Prizes in the area of economics than any other university in the world. And as a result of that, one of the first things that we looked at with the science goes back to 1952, Dr. Harry Markowitz, who came up with a theory called about modern portfolio, modern portfolio theory. And he developed something called the efficient frontier. And the efficient frontier is a, di is a graph or a diagram, if you will, that shows the expect the highest rate of return you can get for how much risk you're willing to take. See, most investors have it wrong. What most investors are doing is they're trying to put together portfolios to get the highest rate of return, which makes sense, you know, to a degree. But what they're often doing is they're taking more risk than they're really aware of. And as a result, when that market does have a correction, it's usually after a big run. So when the market drops, let's say your money went from, let's say I make it real simple. Over a five-year period, your, your money grew 20% um, a year. And everybody would be happy with that. So at the end of five years, your money, your $100,000 investment would be worth $200,000. Well, if that portfolio was too aggressive and there's a 50% loss, six years later, you're where you started with your $100,000. And most people are not prepared for that 50% drop in value. So Dr. Markowitz has shown us that by truly diversifying your portfolio over many, many different asset categories, you can actually incorporate areas of the market that actually have a higher rate of return, more risk on their own, if you were just to buy that as an individual fund, um, and you can actually lower your risk by adding in other investments that have what we call a low correlation. So a high correlation you have two investments that move in a very similar fashion up and down, very, very close together. With low correlation, they move in very in different directions. So it smooths out the return long term and helps you to reduce your risk. So that's one of the scientific theories that we work with. Another one is what's called the three-factor model. And the three-factor model, Dr. Eugene Fahman, Nobel Prize laureate in 2013, along with Dr. Kenneth French, they went back to 1926. And what they found that there was three different factors when it comes to investing that probably account for about 95% of the returns of a portfolio. The first factor being the market factor, stocks for versus fixed income investments. Stocks have a higher risk and they provide us with a higher rate of return. The second factor is what's called the size factor. Small companies are riskier than large companies and small companies historically have had a higher rate of return. Which when you think about it, it makes sense. If I'm gonna invest in companies that are more risky, I'm going to expect a higher rate of return. That's why these credit card companies 
issue credit cards to people with really bad credit with 25 and 30 percent interest rates because they know some of those people are going to default but they're going to make a lot of money from the people who struggle to pay to build their credit so your small companies historically have a higher rate of return than large companies the third factor is what's called the value factor i like to call it the style factor because there are two different styles of stocks there's value companies which tend to be companies that are struggling or known as distressed companies and then there are the big strong growth companies you know think of google and tesla and so forth well the studies teach us that value companies those struggling or distressed companies have a higher rate of return likewise thinking about the smaller companies if a company is struggling and I'm going to invest money in it, I'm going to expect to get a higher rate of return. Otherwise, I might as well just put my money with those big, strong, safe companies. And there's really no such thing as a safe company, but there's a perception that if I'm investing in Google and Apple and Microsoft and Procter and Gamble, that they're so big that they're safer. They're not. There's just as much risk. A little bit more risk with the distressed companies. So when you put these three factors together and you need computer algorithms to do it and do it properly, you can design a portfolio based upon the return based on how much risk you're willing to take. So I'll use me as an example. My portfolio up until three years ago was 95% in the stock market. And when I turned 60, I thought, you know, I'm going to start to reduce my risk because I want to, I have a goal number that I'm trying to get to by the age of 70, <clears throat> not that I'm thinking about retiring, but just to give me the option if I should choose so. That portfolio that I had, had the potential to drop, think about what happened in 2008, had the potential to drop 54% in a given year. So I didn't want to get to, let's say, the age of 68, 15% away from my goal rate, my goal of what I want to accumulate. Think that, oh, between what I can contribute to my retirement plan and a little bit more market rate of return, oh, I should be there, no problem. But then between 68 and 69, we have a 54% you know, drop in value. And now I'm 60% away from where I want to be. And I would need to get 140% return over the next year at 70 to be back to where I wanted to be. I there is a, yeah, I, I just have to kind of uh, direct people to your website because I, I feel like there's definitely so much to learn around this and we actually have reached the end of our show. So where is it that people can follow along with all this amazing information that you're able to share with us? All right, they can go to www paul winkler that's p-a-u-l-w-i-n-k-l-e-r.com and there's a wealth of information on that everything on our website is educational there is a place uh, where you can click and listen to um, some podcasts that come from our radio show on wtn 99.7 fm here in tennessee uh, and that's where they can learn a whole lot more. 
there's videos, there's more information than anybody can possibly watch and see. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much need for education in this area for sure. So definitely go check out IRS website there for all the amazing resources I'm sure he has put together. And Ira, I would love for you to share a final message as we close out for our audience of entrepreneurs. I'd really love to do that. Um, don't try to do this on your own. I'm in this business nearly 40 years and there are things that I'm still learning. And trying to do it yourself is a sure way to blow up your financial future. Work with a professional in the industry. Work with a fiduciary, someone who avoids commissions, and just somebody that charges you and that works for you. Because if they sell you commission-based products, in reality, I believe they're working for people that pay them. So if they're getting paid by the mutual fund or the insurance company, that's where their loyalty lies. So work with a real fiduciary, um, work with somebody that charges a fee, and build yourself a good, strong, diversified portfolio based on the science of investing. All right. Well, definitely wise words. Thank you so much, Ira, again, for all your time and the amazing wisdom you shared with us. Um, I thank you again, and I thank you for watching and listening. I'll see you with another show and another amazing guest. Thanks so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Bye, everybody.